This Bible reading comes from Acts 8, uh, verses 26 to 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of, Ethi of Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit, uh, the, yeah, sorry, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with the very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of, of my being baptised? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptised him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Asitus and travelled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. We're going to continue to reflect now on that second Bible reading from, from Acts chapter 8. So if you do have your Bibles there, it'd be great to have it open at that passage. And I'm going to pray again as we reflect on it a little bit more. Heavenly Father, we do pray uh, again that as we think more on this part of your word, that your spirit will give us uh, understanding and trust that you are the God who welcomes us through Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. If you've been following along with us so far in this series of Acts, you'll have noticed that throughout Acts so far, we've been seeing large numbers of people hearing the message of Jesus and coming to put their trust in him. On the very first day, 3,000 people put their trust in Jesus. Shortly afterwards, that number grew to 5,000. And then again afterwards, we hear that a large number of people put their trust in him. Just last week, we heard that Philip went to Samaria and crowds of people heard the message and put their trust in Jesus. Large numbers, big crowds. But today we move away from those crowds and those thousands of converts to see just one man. One man in a desert. And as we meet him, it's not just any one man. This is a man who is very much on his own. I mean, physically, as he wanders through the desert, this guy would have been more isolated than we are in our current lockdown. But also, spiritually, this was a man who saw the goodness of God from a distance, you could say, but he lived very much on the outer fringes of God's people. He was an outsider. And today, we get to see what God does for this one man, for this outsider. And as we come to hear it, maybe you too 
are someone who feels like you are an outsider with God or with church, with other people. If that's the case, then this passage has something to say to you. Or maybe you are someone who feels more like you're on the inside in those ways. Well, this passage has something to say to you as well. So let's have a look at Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And you can see from the very first verse that this is very much God at work from every st- on every step of the way. From verse 26, we see that an angel of the Lord tells Philip to go from where he is, and God takes Philip from that big and fruitful ministry that was going on in Samaria, thousands of people being converted, <clears throat> And surely there were plenty of other things that he could have been doing there that would have been good. But God takes him from there and sends him to the road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza, where there is no one. We're told in verse 26 that that was a desert place. And that's not referring as much to the lack of water and grass and trees as it is referring to the lack of people. It was a deserted place, although those two probably go together. I don't know if you've ever been to the Hay Plain in southwestern New South Wales and the Sturt Highway that runs from Sydney to Adelaide. I've never done that drive myself, but from the friends of mine who have done that drive, the thing that I consistently hear is that there is nothing there. Just miles and miles of empty nothingness. That's what this was like. It's as if God has told Philip to go from Sydney to the hay plain and to wander the Sturt Highway. It seems like a strange thing to do. You know, if God wants people to put their trust in him and not just desert animals and tumbleweed. But we quickly discover that this is God at work to bring Philip to meet one particular man. And we meet that man in verse 27, an Ethiopian eunuch. And at the beginning of the verse, we're told three things about him initially. He is Ethiopian, he's a eunuch, and he is an important person. But then at the end of the verse, end of verse 27, we're told something else about this man. He has been to Jerusalem to worship. And now he's on his long journey home and he is earnestly reading the Bible. And that extra piece of information adds significance to those three other things that we learn about him. That is, this was a man who was seeking God. Somehow, from the distance of Ethiopia, he had come to recognize, <coughs> excuse me, he had come to recognize the goodness of the true God of Israel. And he was attracted to that. And so he made the long journey to Jerusalem to worship God there. And it was a long journey from the point of view of the Roman Empire and from the point of view of Jerusalem. Ethiopia was the end of the earth, over 2,000 kilometres away. And that was an incredibly long journey to take by land. But this man was willing to take the trip because he knew there was something good there. It reminds me of the words in Zechariah chapter 8, Verses 22 to 23, which say this. And many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty and to entreat him. 
This is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, ten men from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you, because we have heard that God is with you. This man, this Ethiopian, was from the farthest flung nations of the earth from that perspective, and he is coming to seek the Lord. And we're told that he's an important man. I guess you could say the equivalent of a national treasurer or a finance minister or the governor of the Reserve Bank, and he had access, direct access, to the queen of the Ethiopians. And so in worldly terms, he was important, he was impressive, but in Judaism, he would always be a man on the outer fringes because he was also a eunuch. And as a eunuch, he could never become a full convert to Judaism. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, it says, Any man who has been castrated, that is a eunuch, cannot enter the assembly of God's people. So he's been to Jerusalem to worship, but he would have been quite restricted in what that could have looked like. He would have been limited to the outer courts of the temple, the the courts of the Gentiles, and even then, his involvement would have been limited. I mean, have a think about how remarkable this is. This man who was important in the rest of his life, but in Judaism, he's on on the outer, on the fringe, and yet he is convinced that God is so good, that he is worth seeking that he will do whatever he can to get as close as he can, even if that means being on the outer fringe. And while this eunuch is seeking, God is working to bring this man to himself. We know that he's already sent Philip to this deserted place. And now that Philip has seen the chariot, the, the spirit tells Philip to go up and to stay near it. It's so clear that God is orchestrating every moment of this encounter. But of course, in the Bible, there's no such thing as a conflict between God's sovereign control over salvation and the responsibility of people to share that good news and to receive and accept that good news. They go together. And so Philip begins by asking a question, which is a good tip for us that evangelism is always good to begin with a question where someone is at, and he simply asks, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, verse 31, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This man is keen, he's earnest, but he doesn't understand. And the rest of the passage really revolves around two questions that the Ethiopian asks Philip. So let's have a look at what he was reading and the first question that he asks. So from verse 32, you can see what he was reading was a quote from Isaiah 53. It says this, this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. 
That's what he was reading. And he asked this question in verse 34. Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And as I read that, I find myself wondering, what is it that made him ask that particular question? When we read the Bible, I think we kind of often have this instinctive tendency to read our own questions into the passage and and our own situation and want to know what this is saying particularly to me. And I wonder if that's what was driving the Ethiopian's question. Because like the person that Isaiah was talking about, the Ethiopian would have no descendants. Who can speak of his descendants? Also, the eunuch was an important man in his work life in the court of the queen, but in the Jerusalem temple, he would have been humbled. He would have been considered an outcast, just like the man Isaiah speaks of. And maybe even in his 4,000-kilometre return trip from Ethiopia to Jerusalem and back again, maybe this man had read over the page or down the scroll a little bit. That's me rolling a scroll down the scroll a little bit to Isaiah 56, where it specifically speaks of the future of the eunuch and the foreigner, of which this man was both. Let me read the words from Isaiah 56, beginning at verse 3. It says, Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain I'm only a dry tree, for this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Do you see that? Do you see what it says for the eunuch and the foreigner? that they will no longer be the outcast, that they will no longer be on the fringes when it comes to God and his people. They will be welcomed more closely than family into the very presence of God. So you can imagine, can't you, this eunuch having more than just an academic interest in the prophecies of Isaiah at this point? How is this fulfilled, he's asking, by Isaiah himself or by someone else? And I wonder if you can hear the question behind the question. That is, have I missed it? Have I missed out on the fulfilment of these promises? This was the question that God had brought Philip specifically to this point to answer for this man. And so it says in verse 35, beginning at that very passage, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. Now, that's all we're told of what Philip said, but it's not hard to guess what he would have said. The good news that Philip had to share was that Jesus is the one who Isaiah spoke of. Jesus himself had used these very words of Isaiah 
to speak of his own suffering as he was on his way to die on the cross. He went to his death like a sheep to the slaughter, like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So Jesus was silent. He did not protest. He did not object. He did not defend himself. He was humiliated and deprived of justice and his life was taken from the earth. And surely as Philip explained these words from Isaiah 53, he would have also included the words before and after the ones that we just read. That there was purpose in this man's humiliation and suffering. The verses directly before in Isaiah 53 from verse 5 say this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Now, Philip didn't have the benefit of Colin Buchanan at this point, but if he did, I'm sure he would have had trouble not singing those words as I do. And if you've heard Colin sing these words of Isaiah 53.6, I challenge you to not say ba-ba, do ba-ba in the middle of it. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can Google it later. But it continues, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That Jesus willingly became the sheep to slaughter in our place. That he took our transgression, our pain, our suffering on himself so that we could be healed. The good news that Philip had to tell that eunuch was that it wasn't just him who was disqualified from God's presence, but every single one of us. The eunuch had a physical disability, but every one of us has a spiritual disability that disqualifies us from God's presence. Isaiah calls it iniquity, transgression, sin, and that Jesus took that upon himself, that by his wounds we are healed. And surely Philip would have read the next verse too, that after he has suffered, he will see the light of life, that God raised Jesus from death to a new and glorious life. Surely these are the things that Philip would have spoken to the eunuch about in the, of the good news of Jesus. And that brings us to the Ethiopian's second question that he asks of Philip. Presumably, Philip also included what Peter said to the Jerusalem crowd, repent and be baptised, because that's the Ethiopian's next question. And we might easily pass over the question that he asked at the end of verse 36 because we've got our own questions about baptism that we want answered. But this passage is not about our questions, it's about his. And his question is dripping with significance. And we shouldn't overlook it too quickly. Verse 36, what can stand in the way of my being baptised? What could prevent me, he says, from being accepted and receiving what Jesus has to offer. So this man was all too familiar with being not accepted. As a eunuch and a Gentile, he was the ultimate outsider. 
permanently on the fringes of God's people, looking in, seeing its goodness, but never fully accepted. And I wonder if some of us have ever felt like that with other people or maybe even with God. This man's question is laden with significance. But now he knows the answer to that question. He knows that nothing can stand in the way of his being accepted. They found some water, they stopped the chariot, and Philip baptised him. And now that Philip has done the job that God sent him to do, the spirit has snatched him away to somewhere else. But the eunuch, for him, his life has changed. And he goes on his way rejoicing. And as you read the book of Acts, that, that response, joy, is consistently the response that people have when they discover the good news of being welcomed into God's family and the forgiveness that comes through Jesus. For this guy, he knows that he is no longer on the outer, on the fringe with God and his people. He may live at the ends of the earth, but God is now with him wherever he goes. He may not be welcome in the Jerusalem temple, but he now is a temple of the Holy Spirit himself. And I hope that we can hear what this has to say to us. Whether we feel like an outsider or an insider, that every single one of us is welcome before God on the same basis, by the saving blood of Jesus, and only by that the lamb who was pierced for our transgressions. Our sin, our iniquity, our transgressions does put us on the outside with God, but Jesus has taken that on himself. And now he welcomes every single one of us into the very throne room of God with nothing to exclude us. So for those of us who feel on the outside, on the outer with God, we need to hear that that God is willing to accept you by the blood of Jesus. Your standing with God is not measured by your standing with other people. You have direct and complete access to God through Jesus. And so the message is, the call is, come to God through Jesus. And for those of us who feel on the inside, it's the same message though with a reminder about humility. That is, your standing with God is the same as everyone else's through Jesus. And so we need to make sure that we don't put back barriers that God has removed, whether it's race or culture or wealth or age or social ability or physical ability or friendship circles or whatever it might be. None of those things matter for our standing with God. And we mustn't let them become a distinction between people when God doesn't. And we must also not think that my connection with God is defined by those things, my culture, my friendship circles, my social ability, whatever it might be. It is not. And so if I could finish with one final reflection for all of us, I wonder if this current moment of our physical isolation and separation from other people is a good time for us to take stock about where my relationship with God is found and secured. 
whatever category you think of yourself as being in, an outsider or an insider, use this time of isolation to make sure that things are right with just you and God. That your relationship with God is through Jesus and only through him and not through other people. Yes, we need to be encouraging each other. Yes, we need to be encouraged by others. That is important. God doesn't want us to do faith by ourselves. And I will continue to say that we need to stay connected, both now during this lockdown period and also beyond that. But we must not let those connections define our faith. We need to make sure that our faith is anchored personally in Jesus that it's not tied just to the building that I'm in here now and you're not, or the people that normally gather here, that we have a personal faith in Jesus. No one else can do that for you. No one else can do your faith for you. And this time of separation makes that all the more clear, all the more obvious. Wouldn't it be great if we came back from our current lockdown so convicted, so secure, so established in our personal trust in Jesus and our relationship with God that comes through that, that we are ready and all the more eager to live out that faith in all kinds of ways as we seek to connect with and serve and care for the people around us and as we welcome the outsiders to come and join us. Let's pray that we will. Heavenly Father, please help us to recognise, to know that each one of us is an outsider with you, but for Jesus. That without him, we cannot come to you, but that through him we can. That his death has taken our iniquity on himself, and that through faith in him, we can gather to your throne as your loved and forgiven people. And Father, may this be the thing that establishes our identity before you and our position before you. And may that and that alone be how we see ourselves. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.